In this final episode of a five-part series about the laser communications relay demonstration, we'll encounter some upcoming optical communications missions that build on the success of LCRD, testing new and unique capabilities, and providing missions with incredible data rates over laser links. I'm Danny Baird. This is The Invisible Network. My name is Kendall Malden, and I am the chief of the Technology Enterprise Mission Pathfinder Office, known as TEMPO, at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. Early in his career, Kendall actually worked on LCRD. So I was in charge of the what's known as the Space Switching Unit, uh, the SSU, uh, which is uh, uh, one of the subsystems that are on board the LCRD flight payload. So the space switching unit is essentially could be think thought of as the uh, central controller of the payload, um, making sure that all of the other subsystems have what they need as far as data, uh, but also contains uh, what's known as a high-speed switch, which is switching high-speed data between multiple optical comm modems. Uh, so a lot of the high-speed optical comm data that is being relayed by LCRD flows through the space switching unit. Now, as Tempo Chief, Kendall leads an office that has played, and continues to play, a profound role in the development of optical communications technologies. So the Tempo office is, uh, is an organization which basically incubates new ideas and new projects or even newer technologies or technologies that are just coming into a stage of being able to be infused into actual missions and come into more of an implementation phase. And so we're, we essentially are an incubator for many of those, those different um, new start activities, new business activities, um, but also being able to connect the right up and coming technologies with user mission needs um, from a comm and nav standpoint. And we've seen um, several projects and activities now become uh, their own entities with uh, with with their own um, with their own goals and objectives that started out as part of that incubator model. So um, we we look to try to get things off the ground and and through their first steps of becoming uh, their own project or their own uh, capability for the agency. One of the roles that we've played is when we have new missions, let's say, coming uh, to various different study phases, and they're looking at. Uh, their data needs that are coming up, data rates uh, and needs for data to continue to increase uh, as various different sensors, science detectors becoming more and more high resolution and higher quality, uh, higher volumes of data, that uh, we have been able to assist those missions understanding what capabilities optical comm can bring to the table. And so one of the roles we've been able to play uh, as well as uh, supporting projects and capability demonstrations that are uh, currently uh, happening regarding optical comms, such as the uh, Illumit demonstration uh, coming up on the International Space Station. Tempo has incubated many of Goddard's optical missions. The integrated LCRD Low Earth Orbit User Modem and Amplifier Terminal, or Illumit, which will make the space station LCRD's first user began its life in Tempo. Hello, uh, my name is uh, Chayton Sal, and I am the project manager for Illumity. 
Uh, Illumity's objective is to demonstrate uh, data transfer between low Earth orbit and ground uh, through a geosynchronous relay satellite. Uh, in other words, um, uh, without LCRD, uh, Illumity can't meet its objective. So Illumity is a terminal that attaches to the Japanese experimental module, uh, also known as the GEM, uh, on the ISS and it provides the optical forward link um, and the return link. Uh, the forward link uh, is specced at uh, 51 megabits per second, and the return link is specced at 1.2 gigabits um, per second, and that's from the ISS to the ground station with uh, LCRD being the, the relay. Um, if you're actually standing in front of Illumity, uh, Illumity is, uh, looks like a large enclosed rectangular box um, that is about six feet long, uh, two and a half feet wide, and two and a half feet high. And it weighs in at about uh, 400 kilograms. Along the width of Illumity uh, is the optical head, um, uh, which once attached to the gem uh, would point towards uh, LCRD. Illumity left Tempo a few years back and has since become its own project. Since then, Tempo has continued to innovate, nurturing burgeoning optical comms efforts to fruition. Beth Keir serves as the project manager for one of Tempo's upcoming optical communications missions. So T-Bird is the um, terabyte infrared delivery system. Basically, it's, it's a development project, technology development project, where we're looking at commercialization for optical co communication. What we've done is set, set the program up so that we take existing hardware that's available for commercial use, mostly non-flight non hardware, redesigning it, testing those parts and making them flight ready so that they can operate in space. Commercially available hardware can be far cheaper than custom-built components, but they often aren't designed or tested for the rigors of space. With an anticipated launch in 2022, T-Bird is a small satellite no bigger than a standard shoebox that will test terrestrial optical communications technologies in space. But that's not all. One of the other goals is to demonstrate the, um, the downlink at 200 gigabits per second, which is much, much faster than anything that can be done in the, in the RF. In space communications, 200 gigabits per second is faster than most radio frequency systems. It's 200 times faster than LCRD. It's more than 100 times faster than the highest fiber optic internet speeds enjoyed by most Americans in their homes. These data rates will allow T-Bird to downlink large amounts of data in bursts as it passes over optical ground stations. The super exciting thing about optical communications is just the, the game-changing aspects of it as far as data communications. In the, in the past, we've been designing our instruments and our, our spacecraft around the constraint of how, how much data we can get down. With optical comm, we're blowing that out of the water as far as the amount of data that we can get back. T-Bird isn't the only project at Goddard taking advantage of commercially available hardware to advance optical communications. 
Hale Safavi leads an effort using commercial components to develop a low-cost optical terminal, or LCOT. The purpose of LCOT, we want to build a blueprint for future ground stations. Uh, first of all, we want to help the industry to just uh, identify the gaps. For example, there was no, before this, there was no commercial the receiver telescope. We identified that, they built this spec and uh, worked with our receive telescope vendor. And right now, this uh, receive telescope is actually their catalog item. The more parts made available commercially, the easier and the cheaper it will be for NASA to implement new ground stations. More optical ground stations will encourage new missions to adopt laser communications and all the benefits that come along with it. In addition to efforts to advance commercial optical communications technologies, Goddard engineers are also leveraging the benefits of optical communications for the Artemis missions. The Laser-Enhanced Mission Communications Navigation and Operational Services Pipeline Project, or LEMNOS, is developing the Orion Artemis II Optical Communication System, or O2O, which will allow lunar astronauts to send ultra-high-definition video to Earth from the Moon. Nikki Desh oversees development of the ground stations that will communicate with O2O. So um, I oversee the uh, the O2O ground segment implementation. We just passed our series of system design reviews, which we're really excited about. <laughs> um, and they've just moved into the development phase. We are building one of the two ground stations that's going to support that mission in when it's supposed to launch it. And uh, the other one, the other ground station is a Table Mountain facility that's managed by JPL. We are working in conjunction with JPL to um, create these ground stations um, and, and help them route their data through to Johnson Space Center um, during that 10-day period of operations. If you're interested in learning more about O2O and Lemnos, check out episode two of the podcast. Moving beyond Artemis astronauts' journey to the moon, even deeper into space, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory's Deep Space Optical Communications Experiment, or DSOC, will demonstrate communications over laser links at distances never attempted before. Yeah, so I'm Steve Towns, and I am the uh, Chief Technologist of the Interplanetary Network Directorate um, uh, at JPL, um, which uh, basically does the deep space network and a lot of the uh, integrated uh, mission operations, ground data systems, sorts of things for uh, primarily planetary robotic missions. So this is this is all run from uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory here, here in uh, Pasadena, California. Uh, although obviously we interact with all the other NASA centers uh, that have uh, missions typically using uh, the Deep Space Network. Steve Towns is a key player on DSOC, which will fly aboard a mission to 16 Psyche, an asteroid orbiting the sun between Mars and Jupiter. You can learn more about DSOC in episode two of the podcast as well. It's actually a, a pretty cool project for any number of reasons. So uh, obviously two two major pieces to DSOC, the flight terminal um, and the ground terminals. In this case, there's actually two. Uh, the main receive terminal will be the Palomar Hale Telescope on, on Palomar Mountain, which is south south of here. For any, anybody who ever gets a chance to go by there, it's, it's a spectacular telescope, five meter diameter, built in 30s or 40s, I think. So really solid construction. The uplink terminal will actually be coming from Table Mountain. The same California optical communications facility supporting LCRD and O2O will also be supporting DSOC. 
The sorts of testing being done for DSOC is similar to LCRD, but geared towards addressing the unique challenges of communicating from significantly farther from Earth. Number of things DSOC is testing. One, of course, is the data rates. We, we've got all our link calculations that say on this kind of a day with this kind of atmosphere, this kind of cloud, and uh, you know that far away, we should be able to get this data rate. So one of the first things is, do we really understand the atmosphere? Do we really understand how well the system is working? Is it really generating the data that we expect? In addition to growing our understanding of how optical communications systems perform in real, deep space scenarios, DSOC will help NASA to further mature the technology overall. Future systems could be smaller, more power efficient, and less heavy. Technology maturity, probably more than anything else, is sort of going to be the key driver. Closer to home than DSOC's adventure to the asteroid belt, Optical Communications is laying the foundation for other revolutionary new ways of communicating. One example of this is quantum networking, where engineers take advantage of the physical properties of individual photons or light particles. I'm Nasser Bargatti. I'm currently serving as the chief scientist for NASA SCAN. I also lead SCAN's quantum science and technology efforts. What is quantum networking? Just like classical networks, quantum networks link uh, quantum processors, like computers, with each other using either fiber optics or free space. In communication, uh, the basic commodity that we use to be able to uh, write and uh, read information is the qubit. And to, to translate information from one node to the other, quantum entanglement and in particular also quantum swapping, uh, become critical to any quantum communications network. Entanglement is, is uh, predicated by uh, quantum mechanical phenomenon in the, the physics that controls the microscopic world, uh, something called superposition, where uh, a system can be in more than one position at a single uh, instant in time, which is not what we're used to in the microscopic world. And let's suppose you, for the sake of this uh, discussion, you produce two photons. If uh, they share a, a property and that property is conserved, they will continue to share it and obey that conservation, uh, even though they could be separated by light years, in principle. So if you have two photons, one will have a spin up and one will have a spin down and they will cancel each other. So that's zero spin, that's conserving the spin. Now separate those visually in your mind uh, to huge distances and they still will know about each other for if, if one were to flip its spin in principle from up to down or from down to up, the other one has to instantaneously also change its spin state such that the total spin is still zero. Their quantum states are entangled in such a way to conserve spin. And that's independent of distance. Entanglement swapping is, is actually a trick or a protocol in quantum communications where you can actually transfer a quantum state from one quantum object to the other, like you could transfer the spin of this photon we just discussed, without actually physically moving the photon. So it's teleportation <laughs> of a quantum state, and that term is used, by the way, and it's accurate. But you're not really teleporting the physical object, which in this case is a photon, but it's quantum state. The quantum state has been 
teleported. Photons, teleportation, entanglement, quantum states. How will these abstract physics principles transform NASA's networks? At a very high level, the security of the communication uh, between the networks and the nodes will be at a very, very different level from everything we're used to. Some experts believe that it's totally, provably secure. In other words, if you were to eavesdrop on a quantum communication channel, it doesn't matter what you do, you will affect the outcome of that channel. In other words, you cannot do it uh, so cleanly. Uh, quantum physics prevents you from doing that. Uh, in other words, if you want to measure the state of a photon, you will change the state of that photon. And if the photon is part of your communication channel, then people know somebody is dropping. But what does all of this have to do with LCRD? Well, optical communications technologies are inextricably linked with quantum networking capabilities. If your quantum object is a qubit, and your photon is that qubit, and photons are light, lasers, of a different wavelength. So the infrastructure, the highway system these photons will use as they tra- transmit information back and forth as qubits, uh, will use the optical networks. So they're tied to that infrastructure. The photons, uh, our qubits, will have to use the optical networks. So you cannot separate the two. To learn more about quantum communications, check out episode 14 of the podcast. It's an exciting and burgeoning innovation that promises huge benefits in network security that will benefit not just NASA, but communications technologies as a whole. It's been about a month since we launched LCRD and began this season of The Invisible Network. In that time, we've covered the profound benefits of optical communications. We've learned about the technologies and infrastructure that are allowing LCRD to realize them. We've looked to the future of NASA's networks, one where high volumes of data flow over infrared links across the vastness of space. On the journey, we've spoken with optical communications experts from across the agency. We've heard from engineers responsible for building the mission, architects and scientists dreaming of NASA's internetworked future, and the leaders guiding us there. As we conclude the season, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us on the journey. Be sure to share what you've learned with those around you. Together, we can make NASA's networks a little less invisible. Thank you for listening. Do you want to connect with us? The Invisible Network team is collecting questions about laser communications from listeners like you. We're putting together a panel of NASA experts from across the space communications and navigation community to answer your questions. If you would like to participate, navigate over to NASA Scan on Twitter or Facebook and ask your question using the hashtag AskScan, that's at NASA Scan, N-A-S-A-S-C-A-N, on social media with the hashtag AskScan, A-S-K-S-C-A-N. This LCRD-focused season of The Invisible Network debuted after the launch of the U.S. Space Force's Space Test Program Satellite 6 on December 7, 2021. LCRD is led by NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, in partnership with NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Southern California and the MIT Lincoln Laboratory. LCRD is funded through NASA's Technology Demonstration Missions Program, part of the Space Technology Mission Directorate, 
and the Space Communications and Navigation, or SCAN, program at NASA headquarters in Washington, D.C. The podcast is produced by SCAN at Goddard, with episodes written and recorded by me, Danny Baird. Editorial support provided by Catherine Schauer. Our public affairs officers are Laura Bleacher, Catherine Hambleton, and Claire Skelly. Special thanks to Barbara Addy, SCAN Policy and Strategic Communications Director, and all those who have lent their time, talent, and expertise to making the Invisible Network a reality. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. For transcripts of the episodes, visit nasa.gov invisible. To learn more about the vital role that space communications plays in NASA's mission, visit nasa.gov scan. And for more NASA podcast offerings, visit nasa.gov slash podcasts.